Republicans seek to take control of the House of Representatives. Republicans are going to retake both the House and Senate. A liberal MSNBC host warning Democrats about the potential for a red wave. Do we have any sort of canary in the coal mine type indications of where we may be headed on that front? Fox News is calling the Virginia governor's race for Republican Glenn Youngkin. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. Welcome back to the Ruthless Variety Program. I'm Michael Duncan, joined by Comfortably Smug and Josh Holmes. Guys. Hello. Whew. Wednesday special. A Wednesday special, and we've got stuff to say. <laughs> this is, I, I've already can't, calling this is going to be a banger, but this is going to be a lot of hot fire. We're coming in hot. I'm not happy. You're not happy. Well, look, let's start with this. I think it's important to own up to mistakes, right? And... We don't make a lot here on the Ruthless Variety program, but we did make one mistake. We spent a lot of time talking about Governor Chris Sununu and our view that he should run for Senate. We gave him a lot of hype. Gave him a lot of hype. He even came on the program. He even came on the program. Uh, And part of that was that he obviously would win, right? His poll numbers were way higher than Maggie Hassan. I mean, it was was a fait accompli if he were to run for Senate. I think it's important to reiterate, he would have won a Senate seat. By a lot. So if you By think law. about right now the situation of all these crazy-ass bills we're fighting over, the insane spending, because the Dems have the House, the Senate, and the White House, a Senate seat for Republicans would be a big deal. So the second reason is that we thought, and I sincerely believe, that he had the leadership ability to make a difference. I was wrong. I was wrong. So Nunu is a Sonono. He does not have the ability. <laughs> there are... People, they make politicians sort of in two different categories. There are people who see a fire and they run to the flame. And then there are others who talk about the flame, talk about how the flame got started, talk about whether the fire is out of control or not, and then pontificate about their ability to extinguish said fire. Not sure if they can actually get it done. Chris Sununu is the latter. (laughs) Chris Sununu is the latter. He, I I just, the reason I'm so pissed about this, I don't know how anyone and everyone listening to this program, I think will identify this. I don't know how you can look at what's happening to our country right now with inflation, supply chain crisis, energy crisis, border crisis, Afghanistan for Christ's sake. Look at what they're doing in Congress. Look at what progressives are trying to do to our country. I don't know anyone if they had the ability to do something about that, wouldn't do it. I, I, maybe I live in an insular world where people are sort of selfless about their view of governing and their view of this country and worth protecting. But I don't know anybody who would look at that set of issues and say, man, I got to do something about it. So personally, me, I'm not fit to hold office. I should never run for office. (laughs) I would not make a good elected official. But if I knew for a fact I could take a seat from a Dem, I would do it for that reason alone. Because the stakes are too high. You don't... This is not a situation where it's like this ho-hum, run-of-the-mill city council situation where, you know, it's six of one, half dozen of another. It doesn't make a real difference. We've spent four fucking trillion dollars worth of taxpayer money on bullshit over right, this year. Right. We have killed 13 people in Afghanistan that never needed to die. Our service members were murdered, and there's been no response for that except Biden bombed a car full of kids. Well, let's not forget what they're also promising to do next, right? They want to pack the courts. They want to do all this other crazy shit. So to look all that in the face, 
and and decide you're going to take a pass on it is uh, not great. I mean, and then also like just a level set for audience here. If you if you missed the announcement on Tuesday that Chris Sununu, in fact, would not run for Senate. I mean, kind of a big show of it to go out there and do a big press conference, a press conference like like LeBron like LeBron James yeah, style, choice. you know? It was unbelievable. <laughs> it was it was a LeBron James type deal. It really was. The only thing I the, the only time I recall something similar is when Chuck Hagel in Nebraska invited the entire national press corps back to Omaha where he had a press conference saying he would make a decision about something later. Right? Like nobody, nobody cared. Nobody was tuning in to see if you ran for governor again, right? Right. It's all there for Senate, right? He was out at the Republican Jewish Coalition confab at the Venetian in Las Vegas over the weekend, treated like a celebrity. People were red carpeting. I mean, he was invited to places no one gets invited to. Yeah. All of this in the hopes that he would help save our country. So Nunu got a little high in his own supply. I, I, I saw this. Uh uh, I think it was Manu had a tweet that he hadn't ruled out coming to Washington, just not as a senator. And for for our listeners here, he thinks he's going to be president. <laughs> Here's another thing I, I, I think about this whole situation is we need in in the folks we have run for office, our elected officials, they got to have a fire in their belly. You hear that saying over and over again. But there are folks who are like, oh, I just want to be wined and dined. You know, I, I, I don't talk about in the newspaper. I don't I don't want to, you know, uh, get in the Alamo and fight for what's important, for what I believe in. You know what? I, it's, it'd be kind of fun to be invited to a bunch of dinners and have everyone think I'm 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 the best thing ever. Did, so that's another the, lesson is like you got to be careful because a lot of these folks lately, it strikes me. They just want to be like, you know, queen for a day. Like, OK, guys, you know, treat me like I'm amazing. Tell me how cool I am. And then I'm just going to scurry back with my tail tucked between my legs. This is not the era to be timid. Nope. We need fighters. And it quite literally is the direction and the existence of our country as we know it. I'm not being hyperbolic. Look what's happened over the last year. Look what's happened. Look what continues to happen. Guys, they just passed a $1.2 trillion piece of shit bill in the House that went signed into law. And the next day they're talking about how to spend $2 trillion more. Right. They're ruining this country. Yeah, and here's the other thing: is like uh, on the previous episode, Granholm, our energy secretary, is laughing when asked what they can do to help Americans who are paying an arm and a leg for energy for house for heating their homes at the pumps. She laughs. Right. And the thing I think the thing that pissed me off so much about that press conference was was that that Sununu sort of suggested that it wasn't worth his time because you know you go down to the Senate and people argue about things. <laughs> Well, let me tell you what it would be like. If, if he was there, you wouldn't have had Afghanistan. You wouldn't have had the absolute absurdity, absurdity of this spending and, and, and the inflation and supply chain crisis. You can't even get your fucking kids Christmas gifts for Christ's sake because of this administration and what they're doing. What about that is not worth your time? And, and, and What about that is not worth your time? And, and two things, you know. To be like, oh, you know, I don't want to be on some committee. Here's the importance of committees is when Republicans are calling the shot, you can hold people accountable because literally this administration is lawless. It's a lawless administration. They say, oh, uh, you know, we rent moratorium. We're going to just say, screw it. Yeah, we're not going to go through Congress. We're going to say, screw it. It's a rent moratorium until the Supreme Court tells us to stop. And then, uh, oh, uh, you know, 
our vaccine mandate isn't going to hold up, screw it. We're going to say you have to do it anyways until the Supreme Court tells us to stop. Do you know what can tell them to stop? If we have the Senate majority. Yeah, I mean, just lining bills with abortion language. You know, stuff like the stupid... Look, not everything is the sexiest debate, but it really is the future of our country. And I just don't know anyone right now who isn't willing to step up. And I... You may have favorite candidates that are in primaries out there. I salute all of them for stepping up and doing it. That's the thing. Right? That's the thing. Thank God there's somebody with the courage to do it. I look at somebody like Adam Laxalt. Here's a guy who's out of public service, who has a great job. He's got a young family. He has all this shit. I remember talking to him right before he jumped in the race, and the only thing he could say is, I couldn't look myself in the mirror if I didn't try to do something about this now because my kids are going to grow up in a country that is unrecognizable to me, and I have to do something. I don't care if I win or lose. I have to try. I have to try. It's it's like a man in the arena. Like uh, another one, we got JD in Ohio. He was like a year ago, one of the most beloved people in America. Right. They, everyone loves his book about like coming from dirt and making something of himself. He announces he runs and instantly half the country's going to hate you. But he's like, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to jump in the primary anyways. Totally. Or Herschel Walker, right? A beloved figure yep. in Georgia who, who it, you know, right, and like nobody gets into this process, and it's going to be easy. They don't think it's fun. They don't think it's fun. Nobody like, does this like, for fun. There's a lot. There's a lot of people who are running for United States Senate this cycle who have a lot more to risk than Chris Sununu. A hundred percent. You know, and the thing is, is that I, I just everyone needs to look in the mirror right now on, at a leadership level because our constituent, everybody at home feels this way. But if you're in charge of something. You need to figure, you need to understand this is it. Like everybody is hyped. Everybody is interested. Everybody is willing to follow the lead and get these things done. But we can't have shit recruiting. We have to have good candidates. We have to have strong campaigns. And that shit doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen. Everybody needs to put the shoulder to the wheel at this point. And if it's not Christian Inu, fine. We need to find somebody who can. Right. Because we got to expand the map. I mean, like we have to defend a lot of seats. So, like, if we can't expand the map into places like New Hampshire, or maybe it's not New Hampshire, maybe it's other places as well, um, Nevada, for example, like, you know, it, it makes our road to the majority that much harder. It, it, I mean, if not impossible, right. right? And we saw, if you look back 10 years, in 2010 and 2012, when there were arguably pretty good environments for Republicans to win races in red states, and, they, and we recruited terrible candidates. And, and and they didn't get through primaries. And the primary people lost by huge margins. And we didn't get the United States Senate back. And therefore, the Barack Obama administration continued to sort of like... Curb stomp us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. It, no, you know? look. I mean, this is a big, this is a big deal. It's a big deal. And and I, I just, it's the, it's, I think the frivolous nature by which Governor Sununu dismissed a run for Senate is what's got me so hot. Like, I, I mean, there are people who decide it's not their time in life and that's fine. That's fine. But that's not what he was saying. Right. He's saying he's better than it's it. not worth my time. <laughs> it's not worth my time. My time yeah. is better spent in New Hampshire where I can sit around, you know, with no race whatsoever, no political skin in the game, and then fancy myself as a presidential candidate in 2024. Yeah. I don't think that's going to happen. I'll be, I'll be the first to say, I don't think that's going to happen. You may run. But I don't think there's going to be a lot of people like me who forget that when you had the opportunity to do something, you didn't take it. 
The program remembers. <laughs> anyway, let's lighten it up. I, I, we, I know you love the podcast. You love the program because we have some laughs. But that had to be said. Yes, it had to be said. Um, smug. Yes, I, I have a question for you. I'm here for it. There's a a, a new article about uh, the big a sale of the world's largest triceratops. Yeah, I was I was excited seeing this might be discussed today. It's a fossil. It's not a real triceratops, but it's apparently seven and a half million dollars for this for this thing. I was un, I was unaware you could you could buy a fossil. <laughs> I didn't know there was even a market for so, this. So uh, maybe I I vaguely remember like uh, there were numerous articles. I guess Nicolas Cage years ago went broke because I mean he he spent like. A madman, like he was buying islands. Wait, and, did, he, you he did it in this? real life? In real life, yeah. The guy, like, he put together a personal collection to rival like national treasure. Like, <laughs> like, he made national well, treasure real. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, absolute hero. You know, if it, that's a very entertaining. It's just entertaining a, a, films. an absolute method actor. Yeah, <laughs> he was like, you know stuck. what? I have to start like collecting the Smithsonian personally. <laughs> um, and I, I, if I read correctly, he bought like one of the biggest T Rexes on earth <laughs> with his money and he kept the t-rex skeleton in his house which is so awesome to me i mean if i had the money i would pay top dollar for a dinosaur 100 percent. oh i mean 100 okay that's that was my question oh yeah if you had seven and a half million bucks to burn with the triceratops to burn, be on the list yeah. oh yeah if that's in the disposable income for the year seven millions going with triceratops i just don't i i I'd don't think t-rex right more. i don't think i would go triceratops i'm not going on omnivore yeah or vegetarian or what i i want a meat eater i want what a do carnivore you mean, dude a triceratops has that big those three big horns that's why they're the triceratops they're inti- they're intimidating Here's they're like a, a rhino they're, they're like, like a, a rhino. rhino we talked about how big rhino like a rhino kills everything they're like a rhino with spikes i like it but but i'm more of a jurassic park three guy like velociraptor we're talking about triceratops we're, we're done with the chris and Nuna segment dude we're not talking about <laughs> Just kidding, folks. But here's what I would do is if I had the seven million to burn, I would invest it wisely so then I could afford the T Rex and the Triceratops. Because if you had them fighting each other, that's the setup you want. That's a good you know? setup. Imagine that in your foyer. I mean, it's an intimidating centerpiece. Yeah. Unquestionably. See, I'd I'd put that like in the study. So like, you know, you invite your fo- friends over for dinner, then you're like, oh, we're gonna have you know some aperitifs in the study, and everyone's like, "There are dinosaurs fighting." There's in here. my dinosaurs. This is amazing. <laughs> I just I love because because we all know Smug does not read. Right. But his to. his study would have zero books, but would have a triceratops, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> empty shelves, and a triceratops fighting a T Rex, and people are like, "Wow, this is so much better than books." <laughs> so, if you recall from a previous episode, Smug said he would like to bring the dinosaurs back. So he could shoot them. Yeah. Like uh, in Texas, how they have those like wild boar hunts where like you're in a helicopter with ARs and you can shoot. Pick. We Honestly, we got to do that. Like the program should do this. <laughs> what? The boars the or the triceratops? The, the, the boars. And then we could imagine how cool it would be to like shoot down dinosaurs like that. Like oh. that's what science needs to be focused on. Like, you know, I applaud uh, Elon Musk for rockets and, and such. Number one, make Westworld real. Number two, bring back dinosaurs. Like, <laughs> people would remember them throughout history. Yeah. All right. That's great. Well, before we get into the rest of the uh, program here, I will say we do have love for governors. We have a lot of love for governors. Absolutely. Right? This is not, this is not a governor 
thing. We've had a lot on the show. We have great relationships with governors, including today's guest, who I think is a total hero, the governor Excellent of Mississippi, governor. Tate, governor. Tate Reeves. Yes. Uh, so we got that interview coming up. Um, but I, th- I think, you know, look, we've had some negativity lately. It's worth taking a step back and remembering how well things are going generally. Um, and in on that is some post-mortem polling in Virginia. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, it's really great news here. Um, there was this thread on, on, on Twitter the other day from uh, Danny Barefoot, who's basically facilitating a focus group of suburban women in Virginia. They voted for Ralph Northam, the Democrat, in 2017, Biden in 2020, and then flipped to Glenn Youngkin in last week's gubernatorial race in Virginia. It's a very interesting thread here. You know, the first question was, we asked how, how much input parents should have into their children's school curriculum. 51% a lot, <laughs> 24% a fair amount, 17% a little, 8% none. So so Terry McAuliffe's closing message had this grand total support of 8% Eight. of Virginia women who voted Democrat in the last two elections. Yeah. Congrats, pal. Honestly, I don't even know how you can come up with that. Well, I, I can tell you how I think um, is that the donor class of the Democratic Party, as we know, Terry McAuliffe is very tight in with these people, are way, way, way far left, much farther left than the Democratic voting base is on the issues of things like CRT. Yeah. You, you know, critical race theory. The, the donor class is far left on this stuff. And you know, because a lot of them are your academics, right? It's the people who, who've been exposed to this sort of critical race thinking and think this is the future for America. This is how we teach our kids. And so it doesn't actually surprise me that somebody who is a Clinton Democrat, who you would think would be more moderate or middle of the road, you know, I don't know, even know what that means this day, you know, this day and age in the Democratic Party. But you can understand why when you understand the people that Terry McAuliffe surrounds himself with. Right. Right. No, that's <laughs> a very good analysis. That's totally right. The one that popped here in terms of these questions to me was what is your opinion of America? Right. Seventy seven percent said a good country. Nine percent said a bad country. Democrats, progressives in particular, entire message structure revolves around an acceptance that America is a bad country. Right. It's a racist country. Right. It's it has a flawed history that can't be redeemed. Through right. Traditional means. A permanent guilt. Yeah. That it needs that it needs to basically be more like Western Europe in a lot of ways. Yeah. Like that's their view. Um, basically no one agrees with that. Right. <laughs> you want, I mean, it's the reason why the wave is building. They got back to the core liberal message that we've talked about for decades. It is now actually their message. America sucks. <laughs> Good work, guys. Great uh, work. I'm sure, I'm sure that's why Carville is having an aneurysm every time he's on TV. Well, yeah, I mean, like, here's the, the other um, thing that jumped out to me in this thread uh, we asked people what their view of critical race theory is. Again, these are people who, Democrats, who voted for Ralph Northam in 2017, Biden in 2020, and then flipped to Yunkin. <laughs> their view of critical race theory, 11% favorable, 62% unfavorable. <laughs> it's like the Democrats are just totally out of step with the culture of America. Like at a base level. Like they can, they can have all the plans and policies. We saw how that worked out for Elizabeth Warren in the Democrat primary. It doesn't work just to say you have plans and policies. 
if you are at a, out of step with the culture of America, you're not going to win. You're not going to win. You're not going to win. And one final tie into the bipartisan infrastructure package. This question raised my eyebrows because Democrats have been talking about how, you know, they, they would be back. They're going to be back in competitive standing with the American electorate now that they have passed this bipartisan infrastructure package. Mm-hmm. They asked these women about that. <laughs> question was, if Democrats had passed the bipartisan infrastructure package before the election, would have you have considered changing your vote? 91% no. 91% no. You can't get 91% of people to agree on anything. Right. And that 9% yes, you got to remember, this is like a subset of a subset of a subset of voters. <laughs> so you're talking about one person in this whole focus group. <laughs> Seriously. Can I, can I bring up a, a fun poll that I saw? <clears throat> this, is, this is amazing. This is probably the best poll that I've seen in a long time. USA Today asked 1,000 registered voters to, quote, name the single thing that was most important for Biden to do in the next year. The top response, resign, retire, quit. (laughs) (laughs) That's like a thousand people. What should Joe Biden do? Like, Joe Biden, retire, bitch. Like, get out. (laughs) Next week, it's going to be make it to the bathroom on time. Yeah, seriously. (laughs) Well, we covered that. We covered that. Al Gore's back in the news, guys. Yeah, we we, we had a, a, a great way to frame this discussion as pretty much the good, the bad, and the ugly, which I love. So so the bad, Al Gore's latest solution to climate change, mass surveillance. <laughs> so I'm not even sure I re- understand how this works, but I'll quote from here. And next year we'll have it down to the level of every single power plant, refinery, every large ship, every plane, every waste dump, and we'll have the identities of the people who are responsible for each of these greenhouse gas emission streams. Think about that. And it's like a very common theme. Like, as soon as these people have any any power whatsoever, what's the first thing they want to do? They're like, hey, let's stick the IRS on every single American and watch what they're doing. Well, yeah. the, the scariest thing about it, though, and to read later in the story, is the quote, if investors or governments or civil society activists, say that again, civil society activists yep. want to hold them responsible they will have the information upon which to base their action and holding them responsible. I mean, that's what it's they're like saying. they're doing opposition research for like Greenpeace doxing. <laughs> yeah, right. And, and it goes right in hand with like Maxine Waters was like, uh-huh. if you see these people in public, go after them, get in their faces, and that's all this is. I yeah. mean, you see online basically the culture that they've established: left wing activists, the media of like our job is basically to make anyone who dissents like an enemy of the state. I'd love to drive these guys out to coal country right, and leave them right, there. Right, right. Or take them out to the Barnett Shale where they're doing fracking out in Texas. I would love to take some activists out there to see if they want to protest some of these guys. Yeah, come on, come take a shot at yeah. these guys. <laughs> I'm sure they'll be very receptive to your point of view. And by the way, sorry for keeping your fucking lights on. Yeah, right. You know, right. or your car, or your car with yeah. gas in it. Or or if you have a plug-in, sorry yeah. for making that How do you think your Tesla work. gets its power? You think it comes from, like, you know, magic sun god? Like, no, it's actually being <laughs> brought to you by our coal miners. So here's the good, Smug. Did you see the good? Yes, this was awesome too. The good is that Rolls-Royce secures $450 million for many nuclear reactors. You know, I don't even know how this works. Do you know how this works? So I know, uh, I mean, even since World War II, like in World War II, a lot of the, the engines for the bombers and such that, that Britain had were made by Rolls-Royce. Like, you know, they do, on top of making 
extravagant cars. They do a lot of engineering. And hell, I didn't even know they could make nuclear power plants. But I, nuclear energy is the green solution. It's it's how you power a country. Like France, I want to say they get like 70%, if not more, of their energy from nuclear power plants. And that's how you do it. it it's, a simple, it's a simple solution. It creates a ton of great-paying jobs. And, and great-paying jobs in the sense of like, for a nuclear reactor to work, it's not like, you know, you need 5,000 physicists, you right. know? It creates a lot of jobs for people who can get out of high school, they can get an apprenticeship, and get a job that pays great. Yeah, but the the far left doesn't like no. nuclear power. Do you know so why you- they don't? Why? Because it says nuclear. They think nuclear equals bad. Equals yeah. bad. Yeah. No, it literally is. It's, that's it. That's it. That's it. Right? It's like, on oh, nuclear, nuclear is bombs, nuclear, bad, bombs, bad. They could, we could solve this problem tomorrow, but they refuse to do it. This it's like the they like everything about Russia's policies, uh, except that one time there was a meltdown because Russia, <laughs> like all communist countries, covers up all their problems instead of solving them. This is the intellectual heft we're dealing with. Yeah. And the last we have here, we don't have the good, bad, and the ugly. We have the good, the bad, and the crazy. Yeah. The crazy is you got a uh, BC doctor who clinically diagnosed a patient as suffering from climate change. <laughs> I mean, wow. I mean, I'm, I got to say, I'm kind of all for it. I think this is a great scam. <laughs> well, <laughs> I can't get over it. There's a doctor. This is, I mean, we have unmasked a lot about the medical profession during the pandemic. Yeah. You know, and how it's just sort of a lot of politics where you thought this was about science. Right. This one takes the cake. And here's the thing is, you know, uh, when I actually looked at the article, this guy, shockingly, isn't like a psychologist diagnosing this person as suffering from climate change. This is this is an actual emergency room doctor. Like, <laughs> It's incredible. I, I want, what is the medication one gets when you're suffering from climate change? Like he, healing crystals? Like <laughs> how does this work? And we got we got a bonus crazy. This is this is amazing. This is what lib couples argue about. It said a, a study of two thousand adults in a relationship found thirty percent have fallen out over one of them being better or worse at being green than the other. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. That sounds terrible it also tells you a lot about their whole worldview right that like so much of this is actually just about signaling signaling their virtue to others and honestly and that should become the first day question like do you care about the environment if you say yes uh you know waiter where's the bill <laughs> you know that should, that's I love a that. good screening I love that. don't let it get to the right. relationship it's, it's not like are, are you we actively going to have to compost them you know, it's, it's like, do you at all care about the environment? <laughs> Whatsoever. Whatsoever. Is it a top Sm- 50 concern? Smug has a red line. <laughs> <laughs> if, you, if you've ever thought fondly of a tree, you're gone. Gone. Wait or get the bill. <laughs> Smug Smug sees someone cutting up the the uh, the, 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 rings? The, plas- the rings, the plastic the rings on, on the Coke cans. And he's like, you're out. Done. <laughs> I hate turtles. They had it coming. <laughs> I hate turtles. Oh, man. Well, another little funny uh, piece here is I saw this uh, poll about people who eat with their pets. Ugh. Eat with their pets how? Well, the it says one in five share meals with their furry friends. Six percent bathe with their pets. It's so disgusting. So a new poll finds that 22 percent share their food, their food, not the pet. They share their dinner at their table with their pets like like 
they let their pet eat human food with them. Yeah, they like have a nice. They're like, they okay, have, we're sitting down to dinner, and the, then the, the dog here sits next to him. Yeah. And, and that is it, so it, weird. And it continues. It says a stunning ninety-seven percent of respondents say they always let their pet lick or kiss them. Okay, so <laughs> I, I am so against this. So against this. Wait, but I thought the mouth of like a dog was cleaner. I don't buy that, dude. You They're, don't buy that. I mean, we all know what a dog licks, right? You right. Know? Well, look, I know they I don't know. have toilet paper. The dog's doing it his own way. So, I'm not. I I don't do that at all. I'm, I I don't support that at all. Uh in, in, in general, so so there was a longer discussion that this goes into for me, is you're allowing the dog. First off, I I I'm, I personally I love dogs, huge huge dog fan, huge pet fan. I will keep the dogs when I get them outside. They they stay outside. You know the dog is outside in the house. The dog was was built to be outside. You know dogs are not meant to okay. jump on your furniture after they've been running through their dirt. The this dirt is be- and becoming a, lo- a larger conversation. I didn't anticipate this. Like, and then you let them jump up on their furniture when people are like, "Oh, the dog's jumping in a bed." That's not cute. The dog has been in God knows what, covered in God knows what. Now it's all over the bed. It's all over the the floors. It's all over your couch. And then it's going to lick you? This is disgusting. It's unsanitary. He's got like, it's like a 1950s farmhand right. version of what you do with pets. It's horrific. And then when it gets something wrong with its eye, you shoot it. Right. It's, it's, it's shocking that people would do this. Dogs, dogs stay outside. The dog gets muddy paws and he's ready to take them out back it, like old Yeller. It's like the dog. I mean, nature built these creatures for outside. You know? Oh, look, I get it. I, I get it. I get it. And, and, and to let some extent, eat, I understand. Let alone eat. Right. Back to the people for a second i mean this is some pretty depressing loneliness i gotta say Uh uh-huh if you're at the (laughs) table if you're at the table Uh with your dog download a dating app it was like that find somebody okay it it was like that new yorker cover uh they put out during the pandemic where uh it was uh, a lady with a glass of wine in front of her laptop on video cam and they're like this is how dating works now and like with all the the laundry on the ground and like pizza boxes empty pizza boxes empty chinese food the cats rolling around and all the filth don't normalize this folks yeah don't normalize this humanity will survive right we have to maintain some standards (laughs) take care of yourselves don't become the new yorker cover lady with the cat rolling around in the filth and pizza boxes while you're trying to give a facade to the world that everything's okay. Not happening. I didn't know this is where that segment was going to go. I but, I yeah, but I saw the topic. Stop I figured it could normalizing go living like animals with animals. <laughs> All right, so back to politics for a minute. The White House is telling businesses to proceed with a vaccine mandate despite the court-ordered pause. You will find out more about this in the interview that we do, that we do today uh, with Tate Reeves. Because he and several other governors are responsible for an incredibly important court order uh, in the Fifth Circuit, I think it was last weekend, that basically paused the vaccine mandate. Right? They wanted they they paused it and they want to hear the merits of the case from the White House, which is a huge win in in many ways. But anyway, the White House is asked like, what what should businesses do now that there's this pause? Go right ahead, they said. Go right ahead. People should not wait. It was the quote that Deputy Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre uh, told reporters during the briefing. Hmm. So it seems almost sort of lawless. Weird, right? Can you imagine if Donald Trump did this, you know? Oh, I, I mean, I hate to be the one to say it because you get tired of saying it, but it's like you just get to ignore what the courts want now. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, that's basically what they do. Again, but there's nothing to hold them accountable because progressives hold the entire government. Right. You actually need to win. You need candidates that can win elections, nah. like Senate elections. It's a soft spot today. Yeah. Sore spot. So, but we've got governors doing good work and attorneys general doing good work in the courts. I hope they're, they prevail. Otherwise, you know, again, we're, we're dealing with more lawlessness. And, they, and they've got, like, just for example, one state. I'll, I'll just pick one at random. <laughs> A New Hampshire small business owner <laughs> says that he has been left scrambling over Biden's vaccine mandate. Quote, we will absolutely lose employees over this. Yeah. I mean, I mean we've, see, we've seen it with truckers. We're, we've seen it with airline pilots now. I mean, we've seen it all over the place, right? Yeah. It's like, I mean, if the court says you have to pause this and you're telling businesses to go ahead and do it anyway um like who's liable for in all of this in this whole situation you're going to force private citizens to you're going to mandate this thing and i think that's what's important and it's so deeply philosophical to what it means to be a conservative is this is being extrapolated by the media in the sense that oh wow these people they don't believe in science they want people to die this is about letting individuals make their own choices because if they it's like if you're going to allow the government to mandate things and not even let courts stop them what else can they mandate well, that's because, where it goes that's right. like what happened to any individual freedom if you're not breaking a law if you've had a discussion with your doctor if you're making your own choice that's you it should be the individual who gets to make these decisions, not right. not a, not a government who's like I don't even listen to courts anymore. That's not how things work. <laughs> it's incredible. Find ourselves at an interesting time—the kind of time that leadership makes a difference. Yeah, right. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, would you do this? So I saw this thing in, in New York where they're scaling skyscrapers. Yes. Well, I didn't even get to it yet. You're already a yes on that. Hundred <laughs> percent. You would scale. Okay. So New Yorkers consider themselves tough. And this is uh, from the New York Post. New Yorkers consider themselves tough, but are they bold enough to scale the exterior of a midtown skyscraper and lean over an open edge of 1,271 feet above ground? Why? Why are, why are people doing this? <laughs> I would love to do this. A um, couple things. So first thing that comes to mind is folks who have been to the Grand Canyon, they have this like overlook thing where, where the floor is made of this like clear glass yeah. so you can you can see right down there that's pretty cool one of the best experiences of my life and i highly recommend it to everyone is skydiving like it sounds like the dumbest idea you know and then when you're on the plane going up and and like you know the the skydive companies making fun of you like wow why would you jump out of a perfectly you know <laughs> working plane you know you could die they're trying to scare you and you're like man i'm such an idiot why did i do this i have such a great life and then you jump out, and it's the most fun you've ever had. It's incredible. Really? Words do not describe how fun it is to go skydiving. I highly recommend it. So I would do this. I would do this in a heartbeat. Well, so the cost is 185 bucks starting November 9. Uh, City Climb is the highest open-air building ascent in the world. Climbers can scale the outside of a sky skyscraper, as we said, with 1,200 feet. But th this is now sanctioned adventure. You can, you can do this. And that's the other thing is like, yeah, it's 185 bucks. But if you want to have like three or four drinks in New York, you're, you're paying like 185 bucks. <laughs> Probably so don't it's like, have. you know what? I'm going to have a six pack at home and then go climb a building. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, it sounds that. a lot cooler when you put it that way. Yeah, I mean, it'd be so fun. Next time I'm in New York, I think I'll give it a shot. <laughs> um, 
so we've we've had some conversations about uh, the economy lately, a lot, yes. and and we've talked about the supply chain. We've talked about all the policies the Biden administration are are implementing that are making things worse. Well, now, smug Goldman Sachs, your um, old your, buddies, your, your old buddies, now have some interesting things to weigh in on. Yeah, this is this is a direct quote from them. It says, "It is now clear." that resolving the supply-demand imbalances underlying the surge in durable goods prices will take some time. Mm. Because remember, the whole for so long the message coming out of this administration was inflation is transitory, which is kind of like, this too shall pass. Well, I mean, now now you're hearing this straight from Goldman Sachs. They say, as a result, the inflation overshoot is likely to get worse before it gets better. With core CPI as a consumer price index, it's basically a basket of goods to try and judge you know, if the price of things are going up. With core CPI above five percent in coming months, oh. and 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 a lot of people debate whether the basket of goods used in CPI is as indicative of, of consumer prices, like what people are actually paying to get by anymore. But if core CPI is up five percent, your income is taking a very significant hit. That's a lot. That's a lot. That's way more than probably a lot of our listeners have seen in their lifetime. Inflation at wholesale levels rose 8.6% last month. And that's the other thing to, to, to reiterate. Is that's the wholesale level. So that's what the, the prices are for the people who are putting the stuff together and who the, oh, the it's stores. Not even, yeah, right. it's, it's getting passed on to you plus a bit more. Right. And plus the supply chain issue. So your, so yeah. your supply itself. Yeah. If you're lucky enough to get it, you get to pay an arm and a leg. Right. So, so like the Biden administration saying like they're not going to raise taxes on middle class families in this whole you know, tax and spend agenda they have going on is just a lie because inflation itself is the hidden tax that everybody pays every every time they go to the pump, they get groceries, they do anything. And then you got MSNBC out there. They had a tweet the other day oh, saying, I saw this. well, actually, this inflation is good. <laughs> Can you believe it? And it got ratioed to hell. Yeah. Well, part of this problem, I, I'm sorry to inform you. I don't know if it's arrived yet, Smug, but we talked on Tuesday about mm-hmm. your Christmas tree yes, situation. Yes, yes. Well, apparently they're getting very difficult to, uh, to get. Yeah, because that's of the, the supply thing. chain. Um, and, and, and this article from NPR, which was describing uh, all the issues, it says, quote, a great majority of our artificial Christmas trees are manufactured in China. Sidebar, uh, I saw this ad on TV. I can't remember the name for it. There's, it's a company in the USA that manufactures artificial trees. That's where I ordered from. Got to, got to buy American folks. Yeah, no, I do the same thing. I actually had to look far and wide because most of them are in China. Yeah, and, but there is one, and I, I can give recommendations out. It ain't cheap. Yeah, I mean that's, but that's the thing is it's worth it to me, and I, I highly recommend folks stop buying things made in China. But we'll continue. And Christmas trees are pretty much every other consu- and pretty much every other consumer good is languishing either out at sea or hasn't shipped yet. It's from Jamie, Jamie Warner, the executive director of the American Christmas Tree Association. That's got to be a fun job, too. Oh, uh, well, see, I mean, what we're illustrating here is is the White House wants you to believe this is high class problems. Remember the, the, oh, yes. the yes. Saki quote about like, oh, you're you're what was it? A treadmill the, or they're something? Like, oh, yeah, you can't get your treadmill. Yeah, the horrors of the delayed treadmill, I believe, is what she said. So I wonder how her, she would react to the fact that Kraft, you know, like mac and cheese. Next year, they're raising prices on mac and cheese, Jello, bagel bites, and other things up to twenty percent. Um, that's the thing is like these are these are staples. Bagel, folks. I mean bagel bites. Yeah, man, bagel Dude. bites. That that what a treat. 
I mean, Kraft mac and cheese is that's the best mac and cheese. And then also like uh, you, you go back to even even the Christmas trees is like I can I can looking back at my childhood, I can remember my fondest memory when I'm a kid, uh, family Christmas. Uh, I got a bike and I got uh, which Nintendo? I got a Nintendo. It was like 64. Best day ever yeah. man yeah. best day me and my dad playing the nintendo everyone's got their new stuff we're hanging out around the tree amazing day one of the best days of my life and like not only do we have a generation of kids who are like being told you have to wear a mask if you're lucky enough to go to school like it's a horror yes, this show sucks for these kids and then to be sucks. like no christmas tree and maybe no presents like it is a tough time to be a kid right now and yeah. this administration is like High class problem. Sorry, guys. What's the high class problem with Kraft macaroni and cheese? Seriously. Well, let, let, let's let Kraft explain this to you. What they said is, quote, the upward trend in packaging, transportation, ingredients, labor costs persist, reaching levels not seen in decades. Yikes. Well, it tells you everything you need to know. I mean, at what point? Th- none of this stuff is happening in a silo. It's happening because of the Biden administration. Right. It's what happens when you line up trillions and trillions and trillions of spending time after time, paying people not to work, destroying supply chains and the like. I mean, this is this is an existential issue for American consumers like we this November 2022 cannot come soon enough. I mean, I think a lot of Americans are realizing this, and I think part of the reason you're seeing this like BS push from the administration like they're trying to i've seen administration folks trying to say wait we had we had the supply chain issues uh under trump everyone sit back and think were there supply issues under trump be honest with yourselves remember history like how are you trying to gaslight americans into thinking oh yeah under trump we had like hundreds of ships off the coast that wasn't happening right the ships that we had off the coast under trump were like when he sends a a hospital ship to new york i remember that we got that ship in port pretty quickly well yeah right and also like during the darkest days of the pandemic before the vaccine when everybody was was stuck in their homes and we had some issues buying toilet paper for a few weeks right. is a lot different than the core CPI going up 5%. And the thing is, <laughs> nobody can afford anything. It's like, are you going to believe these these idiots in the administration are going to believe your eyes when you go to the grocery store and you right. see the shelves? Like, oh, that's not there. And they don't seem to care. They don't. You know what I mean? It's they don't. Like they, they really they, don't care. They, they're more concerned about vaccine mandates than they are the, about the fact that none of the people who've been thrown out of their jobs because of it can afford Kraft Mac and cheese because now prices are 20% higher. And, and another thing to remember uh, in all of this, I know Smug Industries, all our merch sales, 100% goes to Feeding America, supporting our pantries. Uh, here at Ruthless, we've done fundraising for Feeding America, supporting our food pantries. Uh, ABC 50 News uh, 57 News reported that rising food prices affecting local food pantries. Rising prices and supply chain issues are hurting people who need the most help this time of year. Mm, man, we need to do another. That's a high class problem. We need to do another one of those. I don't know if it's, we'll pick We'll pick another charity that, that we can be 100% assured reach the consumers. Yep. Uh, but we're going to do that around the holiday season again. I think that was one of the better things that we've done. 100%. Guys, let's play a game. Yes. Let's play King of the Hill. Let's go. So um, last week, Smug came in with an absolute banger. 
Yes. Sherry Jacobus? I believe that's how you pronounce her name. Okay. <laughs> He's not she, sure. She's blocked me on Twitter. Um, oh, you got blocked? Everyone everyone who replied to her, everyone who quote retweeted her over the past week gets blocked. <laughs> so. Yeah. I, uh, Jesse Hunt even got in on it. I think she was calling him a domestic terrorist yeah, at one point. Yeah. Uh, Jesse Hunt, good friend of the program, communications director at the RGA, uh, was was the guest on, on the episode where I unveiled Sherry Jacobus to the world. And like she went <laughs> off. She was like, this is Jesse Hunt's podcast. He tried to kidnap Governor Whitmer. Like she's in another. Many people are saying she's in another place. Her thoughts. I'll, okay. I'll leave it at that and let her tweets speak for themselves. Holmes, who do you have this week? Oh, I got Bill Crystal because I needed I needed something big. Right. And I've been feeling it with Bill Crystal lately. You recall I went on a little run with him. Yeah. And I feel like now that Dowd is not in my crosshairs as somebody I can use. Crystal's the next best heavy hitter for me. Okay. So that's all I got. Okay. Well, let's go ringside. Ladies and gentlemen, your attention, please. It's time for King of the Hill in the red corner, fighting out of Pierre O'Madire's checkbook. Looking for a chance to reclaim his crown, neocon fail son, Bill Crystal. And now, in the blue corner, fighting out of the Mueller report, an upstart making her first title defense, and current. Champion of the world, Akami Cherry Jacobus. <laughs> so That's great. Really put his back into yeah, that. Yeah, really back into ringside. That was great. <laughs> so um, as reigning champion, I know I get the first tweet. Another thing I think I should mention about these tweets, I'm I have like a dozen tabs open. I've got so many nukes here ready to roll. And the icing on the cake is these are all from one day, <laughs> November eighth. Just one day, just one day. Okay, you guys, for our listeners at home, Holmes's eyes just got very wide with fear. Yeah, and, and also since we our numbers keep keep going up, uh, for our new listeners, the way King of the Hill works is each of us picks kind of like a never Trump quote conservative, you know, whatever. Somebody who used to be a Republican or a conservative some kind that that bailed all together and lost their mind in the Trump era. Yes. Essentially. So so we go over the past week, you got a week of their body of work on Twitter, uh basically going tweet for tweet who's who's crazier and our esteemed judge and jury Michael Duncan calls it round by round. Yeah, and so as our defending champion smug, you got to go first in round 1. And away we go. Sherry Jacobus, 6.20 p.m., November 8th. If Garland had arrested Bannon a week or more ago, Terry McAuliffe would be Virginia's governor-elect. <laughs> it was that close. Racist GED white moms were energized, but the Biden voters who worked passionately for justice and voted for justice in 2020 were not. Get the fuck out of here with that. <laughs> so good. So she's, she thinks if... The Attorney General Merrick Garland had arrested Steve Bannon, former you know Trump White House official, that Terry McAuliffe would have won the Virginia governor's race. Exactly. 
Exit poll showed, you know, the the Bannon justice for Bannon <laughs> voting block was like we would have shown what up. To do. <laughs> Can you read the GED part again? <laughs> sure, I'll, I'll read the whole thing. Read it all. Art. If Garland had arrested Bannon a week or more ago, Terry McAuliffe would be Virginia's governor elect. It was that close. Racist GED white moms were energized. But the Biden voters who worked passionately for justice and voted for justice in 2020 were not. I, just, I mean, it's so bonkers. I don't know. This is like broken the game. And also, it's it's this like, so she she's like the embodiment. She encompasses so much <sighs> of previous champions. She's like the final form. She's got the Tom Nichols <laughs> right. elitism of like the GED right. white moms like, a GED number one, if you get it, good for you. That's an accomplishment. You're doing something. It's not something we look down on, but she looks down on it. A lady whose job is basically to drop bonkers takes. And she gets the Steve Bannon stuff in, and then Merrick Garland. Yes. So there's sort of like a weird, like it's almost like a Russia gate. And then she, of, she wraps the bow of bringing it in on the Virginia election. It's like the Charlie, Charlie Kelly Always Sunny meme with all the yarn. Oh, yeah. You know, on, on, the, <laughs> on the board exactly. in one tweet. It is. You might have to throw the round, pal. I know I'm judge and jury. I'm supposed to be impartial here, but a little advice. I need play to, your weak, your weakest. Well, I need, I need to. Mm. You you think you can shortcut it with something to well, appeal? Well, here's the thing. I ha I can't in the pure brain worms construct. There's nothing in the world that can compete with that. Yeah. Right. So I need stuff that's like off genre. Yeah, it needs to be a different kind of crazy. Okay. Right? But I just don't know. That 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 might not even be able to... I mean, I'm, I'm going to reallocate. I'm going to go in a different direction. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. So this is Bill Crystal, November 7th, about happy hour. <laughs> Big Bird and Elmo greater than Joe Rogan and Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> The greater land, you know, the math greater than. Yeah, sign. yeah, 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 yeah. That's the. It, it. Oh wow, oh wow. <laughs> it's, it's, it's. In, in case, in case, listener, you missed it. Uh, uh, Big Bird is is trying to get kids vaccinated. Yeah, there's the the, the Big Bird and Elmo, the whole Sesame Street gang is yeah. trying to get the jabs in your kids, and therefore they're greater than Joe Rogan and Aaron Rodgers. I mean, that's remarkable. It's pretty remarkable. It just can't compete, I though. Know it. I know it. Smug wins round one. I know it. Excellent. I feel Excellent. like this. I know it. She could be the cheat code. Uh, okay, so here, here I've got one that I think going into this I thought was a nuke. Now I'm not so sure. But you'll recall in previous games with Bill Crystal, winning hands with Bill Crystal was just how hard he was going at Glenn Youngkin. Yeah. And it was like Glenn Youngkin equals Trump. Right. Like stuff like that. Like just... Trump, 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 Glenn Youngkin. Glenn Youngkin's terrible. He's a racist, remember? He said straight right. up that he's a, he's a, ra a racist, yeah. Glenn Youngkin. So he tweets this last week. I'm doubtful the GOP can be liberated from Trump and Trumpism, but perhaps I'm wrong. So to my GOP loyal or GOP adjacent friends, recruit and fund Youngkin-like alternatives. <laughs> 2022 Senate primary. He endorsed Terry McAuliffe. He appeared in direct mail for Terry McAuliffe. That is an incredible heel turn. That's what I'm saying. Wow. I thought this was the biggest nuke you could play. Wow. It might be. It's still pretty amazing. I mean. He's saying recruit and fund 
Youngkin-like alternatives for the 2022 Senate primaries in Georgia, Pennsylvania, Missouri, Ohio, quote, and help them win. Well, so help them. What win. I love about about this, and I want to make sure it's fresh in mind before Smug plays something insane, but like Terry Mc, or not Terry McAuliffe, but Bill Crystal's kind of giving his game away by by saying this because his whole brand is you have to vote for Democrats in order to restore democracy. That the house is on fire, the fascists are at the door. Mm-hmm. Like the only way to stop it is to vote Democrat. They lose one election, and he's like, "Yeah, maybe that younger guy's okay." The guy, <laughs> the guy he called a racist. <laughs> guy, the, the the softest. How soft do you have to be? <laughs> oh, wow. Smug. Do you play something and try to just wipe them out here? I think so. Okay. I think so. Um, Okay. This is this is just out of left field nuttiness. This there's there's no reason to be discussing this, but she just rolled with it and decided to fire this out. Eight thirty four a.m. First, you know she's ready to go. (coughs) November eighth. Lewandowski and Bossy got secret exit polling on election night showing Trump lost. They passed it along to Manafort, and suddenly Trump scraped together 77,000 votes in three key states he was to lose, giving him the Electoral College votes to, quote, win, despite Hillary winning the popular vote. It is November of 2021. Yes. <laughs> this is apropos of nothing. Nothing. She just rolled up and was like, hey, good morning, everybody. <laughs> Lewandowski and Bossy got secret exit polling, that, you know, like the nefarious secret exit polling. And then they're like, okay, guys, now we know where we have to find 77,000 votes. <laughs> and then they like pass it off to Manafort. Manafort's like, "Yeah, okay, I'll just I'll just get 77,000 votes." Right. So votes. I, I, how does she how do you think she thinks like voting works in this country that if you got that exit poll you could do something about Honestly, it? I don't think she thinks. She this just This is tweets. just like id. It's just like id plus wine equals Jacobus tweet. <laughs> so so this is where I'm appealing. I know we're fresh into the Jacobus reign, but yeah. this is where I'm appealing to like i don't think you're gonna beat that just in terms of like insanity but i think you could beat it in terms of how wild a heel turn or some other genre well, so, but here's <clears throat> the thing is it's not just insanity she, she's like a renaissance woman it's not just about what election just happened it doesn't have to be topical she just rolls up with these ideas man you know it's like changing the game it's right. not like Oh, anyone can kind of like catapult off of what's in the news. Here's my take on this. It's not her take on a situation. This is her creation. You know, she's an artist. She right. doesn't she's depend on current events to 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 dictate what she's thinking about. She's like, it's eight thirty in the morning, folks. Lewandowski <laughs> and Bossy got secret exit polling numbers. <laughs> it's such an odd time to be doubling down on russia gate it's so it's, and and, it's, and might add 621 retweets like <laughs> 621 people were like yep my followers need to see this breaking news <laughs> so early oh well i would say two things number one it is on the same genre and you know, maybe it is sort of a Jen Rubin-esque thing that eventually the judge and jury does tire a little bit of uh, the same brain worms turning over and over again. And the only reason I say that is because, like, 
and I said it already, but like what Bill Crystal just did was a one week heel turn us on his entire new persona as the Republican who votes for Democrats encourages you to, you to vote for Democrats and then says after his endorsed candidate loses I oh, just kidding you know find more like that guy I called a racist I mean that's a remarkable heel turn and I think for that reason for who he is as a person Holmes gets round two. I feel okay. like I feel like I, I gutted that out just because it's the perfect. It literally is the perfect thing on the perfect guy. Right. Right. Well, right. That's the only way that you can compete with this mess. Right. <laughs> right. The, the problem is, is you, you really only get one of those. I know it. I know it. Smug, you got to go first in round three. Ready for it. <clears throat> this is at 927 a.m. Not even an hour has gone by. <laughs> this right. is the same day. Same Again, day. same day. Same day. And uh, one of the wilder things about Sherry Jacobus is she thinks Merrick Garland isn't going left enough. Like, he is not doing his job. She wants him. What's the name of Louis DeJoy? She, she's still blaming, like, uh, the, uh, the post office. The post office. She, she thinks Merrick Garland is enabling that guy in the post office. <laughs> Wait, is he him. even still there? I think so. I don't know. So, so at 9.27 a.m., Sherry Jacobus says, Biden may be president. But Merrick Garland and SCOTUS ensured this is still Trump's America. Biden and congressional Democrats are the only ones who can change this. Inherent contempt. Fire Garland. Expand the Supreme Court. (laughs) Straight up. That's the solution. And, I mean, we've been discussing that on the program. The reason that, like, they're pushing the, like, court packing thing is because the only thing stopping this, like, lawless administration is they're like, guys, uh, that's unconstitutional. Right. Sorry, there's a thing called the Constitution. And she's like, the problem is we got to get rid of that. There can be no breaks on this train. So where does DeJoy fit into this? So so uh, I'm guessing maybe a glass of wine earlier at 8.57, she was talking about Biden needing to fire. Uh, well, Biden can't fire Louis DeJoy, but right. Merrick Garland has to indict and prosecute him. <laughs> and so she's like, the fact that he isn't is why, you know, we got to fire Garland and expand the Supreme Court. Well, That's the you, only way to stop the post you, office. You remember he was the boogeyman ahead of 2020. Yeah. Right? That, that he was going to slow down the mail and he stop. He was eliminating post office Right, just, he's going to stop stop Biden from getting the mail-in votes. Yeah. Like, right. I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if Sherry was one of those people who, like, chained themselves to a mailbox. Right, and they're right. Like, I'm saving like democracy. September 2020. Yes, which, which this was the big thing. It's conspiracy that, theory for a week, and then everybody's like, "Yeah, that's pretty much not true." That's not true, and then Biden's now president. So, <laughs> so if you are, if you are her, clearly it, that was not had an elect- issue. The, and she's election. like, "I continue to be and mad now, about this." Now, it, now it is again. That's remarkable. It's amazing. It's amazing. She's God. like, we were worried about that thing. That thing didn't happen. But here's why we need to expand the Supreme Court because that thing didn't happen. Like what? pretty good it's not even 9 30 it's remarkable so i'm gonna try to compete with it and what i've got my hands on here is is one of the things who that we know about bill crystal and that i've had the pleasure of trying to interact with over the last 20 years while i've been in politics is that he's absolutely wrong about politics 100 percent of the time right right like he's never met a voter clearly and his takes are always like betray such ignorance about what voters are like and what they do So that's the context for this. Note to sane Republicans planning 2022 primary challenges to election overturning Trump supporting GOP incumbents. Go on the offense on infrastructure. (coughs) 
quote, not only is my opponent against democracy and the rule of law, he's also <laughs> against fixing X road or Y bridge in our district. <laughs> Can you... It's a political analysis. Can you imagine a 30-second ad cut by Bill Crystal? Oh, it'd be so bad. <laughs> it'd just be so bad. <laughs> So terrible. So, like, you know that issue that every single Republican voter is just furious about? Yeah. Go on offense on that issue. <laughs> and I, you know what? I think that's just like, again, that's a microwave lib take. <laughs> microwave lib take. But he's oscillating back and forth between supporting Glenn Young and, and, and lib takes. Yeah. I mean, the guy's trying to find his footing now. And like Duncan said, that's a one card play. I mean, this this is a renaissance woman. We've had three separate subjects. Right. Ranging from, you know, bossy, getting exit polling, to we need to expand the Supreme Court, to, like, all the people who are going to go vote for McAuliffe if only Bannon had been prosecuted. Like, well, So, so and, and I think Smug brings up a good point, and I, I got my hat goes off to Holmes because I think he sold Bill Crystal extremely well. You always do a good job at, at, at selling your picks, but 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 today especially, and you had to bring your A game. I have to. I have to. That being said, <laughs> what Smug has delivered not only on its um, <clears throat> on its its crazy lib lib takeness and its its brain worms, he also gets a, the benefit of of what you would have in gymnastics of like a technical score, <laughs> because he managed to bring three fire takes all from one single day. And, I mean, my hat goes off to him for doing what I thought would be impossible. <laughs> and for that reason, Smug wins again. I can't complain and with that. that. What a fight, though. What a fight. What a fight. I, I, I mean, Holmes sold that. I'm going to need I'm gonna need the a lot The guy could sell help. water to a well, the way he was pushing <laughs> That was good. Tweets. It was very good. I'm going to need help from the minions. I'm not sure we can knock this lady <laughs> off. I, I give it everything I got, but I don't know, man. That's just wild. Oh, all right. So uh, there was King of the Hill. Uh, I'm going to have to regather my thoughts. But in the meantime, uh, let's go to a terrific interview with the absolutely awesome governor of Mississippi, Tate Reeves. I want to welcome to the program a really interesting guy, somebody we've been looking to talk to for quite some time, a governor of the great state of Mississippi, Governor Tate Reeves. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great today. How are you doing? Well, I'm good. I'm good. Listen, it's uh, it's always a good day when you're a week removed from a, a big victory like the Republican Party had in, on Tuesday. And the, the variety programs had a pretty good uh, lap around taking credit for stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but how are things down in Mississippi? Well, things down here are, are exceptionally well. Uh, our economy is booming. Our state revenues are growing. Um, and it's really all because we've been able to keep things open while a lot of blue states closed them. And uh, they closed down their businesses. They closed down uh, their state while we were opening them up. So things are great here. Um, politically speaking, as you mentioned, uh, it was great uh, to see a big win in Virginia, a uh, big win for the Republican Party, a big win for the state of Virginia, Commonwealth of Virginia, but also uh, a big win for our country. Yeah. Um, recognition that that, you know, it's it's time to push back on some of what's going on in Washington, D.C. And that certainly happened last Tuesday. No question about it. Well, you've been at the forefront of pushing back on a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, one thing I want to start with, because I find it most interesting, is is covid related. And, you know, you've been sort of front and center, along with basically every Republican governor in the South, having to push back on absolutely ridiculous progressive 
characterizations of what's been going on in your handling of the pandemic. And I think you've done an incredible job. Talk to us a little bit about sort of how you've handled that with the public pressure from the national media and everybody else raining down on you. Well, it's been a, it's certainly been an interesting time as a reminder. Uh, I got elected governor in, in 2019. So I was sworn in on January the 20th of 2020. And we got our first confirmed case of COVID on March the 11th. So about 45 days in. Welcome, um, in welcome, to to, that, welcome to the NFL, huh? Yeah, welcome to the NFL. Exactly right. You know, if, if you, you're going to go, go big, right? But um, <laughs> in addition to that, we've also had tornadoes. We've had hurricanes. Uh, on Easter Sunday, we had the, the third widest tornado in American history hit our state. Um, we've had multiple uh, hurricanes. In fact, we've, we went through a period of time in 2020 in which dating back to 1972, the most federally declared disasters Mississippi's ever had in any one year is four. In my first year as governor, we had 14. Oh, and COVID wow. was only one of those 14. So um, it's been a, a challenge. Uh, a lot of my friends ask me, hey, how do you like being governor? And I, I tell them the truth. I don't know anything about being governor. I'm just an emergency management director uh, here in the state of Mississippi right now. Um, but it has afforded me the opportunity to, to really push back on some of the far-reaching attempts uh, by this administration, by the Biden administration. Um, and I think it's, it's critically important that we have governors that do that. We have to remember uh, that it is the, the states that created the federal government, not the other way around. Right. And and that um, we we not only not only do we need uh, the opportunity to govern ourselves, it's 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 really the foundational a foundational principle that our country was founded upon. Um, and because what's best in Mississippi may not be best for California, what's best in Mississippi may not be best uh, for another state. But I was elected to to run this state, and and we've seen uh, some really good progress. Uh, that I'm very, very proud of. No question about it. Well, some of the best leadership that we've seen during the pandemic has come from from Republican governors. And one question I'm always interested in, because at the onset of the pandemic, obviously the country had not experienced this in 100 years, right? And this is an, an unprecedented event, the likes of which you know none of us were alive to to experience the last time around. And and there was this sort of panic at the outset. You know, what do we do? How do we do it? And what your leadership and 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 some around you what i've noticed and appreciated is that you just took time to to pause and try to figure out logical ways of handling this and that you would chart a path that wasn't necessarily dictated to you by the federal government that you you basically try to figure out what worked best for your state describe to me the process that that you undertook in talking to experts in your state and doctors and healthcare officials and and trying to figure out how to get that policy right well, and I'll tell you, you mentioned other Republican governors, and I can't uh, stress enough how important those relationships were during that time. Oh, interesting. Uh, I've, I've had the, the privilege of, of serving on the executive committee of the Republican Governors Association. And one of the things that we did, uh, you know, we have 27 Republican governors. And when um, Governor-elect Youngkin is sworn in, we'll have 28 Republican yeah. governors. But uh, one of the things that we did that really worked well uh, is we had at least weekly conference calls uh, in which all Republican governors were able to sit down and, and have uh, conversations about what we were seeing. Because one of the things that occurred during the pandemic is that different parts of the country, different geographic regions were at different stages of the pandemic at different right. times, right? And so in the early days, 
uh, when the, the pandemic was initially started in, in, in March, at least that we knew of in, in the United States, I mean, it was primarily the Northeast. And so the Northeast was dealing with certain things that uh, at that time, those of us in the South were not. But then fast forward to the, for instance, uh, in, in say July and, and early August of 2020, those of us in the South were making decisions that we were going to get our kids back in school and that we had the political support to do so, whereas in other parts of the country that they weren't have, even having those conversations. And so mm-hmm. uh, we were we were able to to do so. Uh, you know, we we uh, we've been you know last April, May, June. I kept hearing uh, folks in the in the Biden administration talk about getting kids back in school, and I wanted to be like, look, we've been back in school for over a year here, and while we certainly had some challenges, we've got uh, a lot of experience as to what really worked. Uh, to eliminate or at least mitigate spread in the classroom, uh, for instance. But every time we had a, a different experience uh, from one state to the next, we were able to get on the phone with uh, one another and talk about the, the things that we did that worked. And, and oftentimes in a crisis, we were also able to honestly talk about the things that we did that maybe we wish we had done a little bit differently, right? And, um, and so that's really helped us um, make decisions because we did come into this um, not knowing what we didn't know. Right. There was no playbook how to be governor during a, a, a global pandemic, um, you know, because we hadn't had one in, in our country since 1918 uh, prior to the, that year. And so you, you had to you, you had to go into it um, and, and, and try to make good decisions. But the key, the absolute key, uh, in my view, is to come at every decision with a core understanding that whatever decision we make, we have to focus on not only protecting lives, but also protecting livelihoods. Right. And, and I think uh, that's what uh, red state governors did by and large is recognize that we have a pandemic. I was fortunate. My state health officer doesn't report to me. Uh, there is a board uh, that hires and fires him, um, but he was always in the room. We always had our conversations. He always gave me his advice and he always understood that he was an epidemiologist and his focus was on public health and that as governor and as the ultimate decision maker and ultimately as the individual is going to be held accountable for the decisions that we made, there was a bigger picture also. Um, You also had to recognize that there was individuals uh, that if they weren't going to work, they weren't able to put food on their table for their families. And that's part of the equation when making those decisions. Yeah, no and, question. Um, and I think that's helped us um, manage through this. Yeah, well, you've done, a, you've done a great job. You know, one of the things that we make fun of on the Variety program is how the national media basically characterizes, you know, any Southern state or any conservative or any, I mean, it's almost like we're a zoo animal, right? They're just there to, to sort of check us or a foreign exchange student in some ways. They're like, I don't know, I don't get it, but look at them. I, I, let's try to describe what they're doing. And that was on steroids during COVID, right? It was it was what you mentioned about different parts of the country going through different stages of the pandemic. Of course, when that stage hit the South, the national media always used that as an opportunity to say, oh, yeah, look at these rednecks. They don't know what they're doing. They have no they have no clue. They're putting people's lives in danger. And then sure enough, that the spike would come down and it would move to a blue state and the story would be gone. Right. I mean, how much, if any, do you even pay attention to the national media or do you just kind of put the 
the the visor on your cap down and, and go to work at what you're doing without even paying attention to it? Well, well, first of all, let me say, you know, you mentioned earlier one of the uh, one of the things y'all like to make fun of uh, on the on this variety program. Um, that's what I love about your program, by the way, is that you make fun of everything and everybody. And, and that's, it's really good. It's the reason I enjoy uh, watching it. And, I, and by the way, I'm glad you, you have some variety here, but you don't have a, a U.S. Senator on today, but you got a governor on. I love that oh, variety yeah. as well, right? Oh, yeah. Um, but look, the, the reality is that the national media um, proved time and time again, not only on, on what they covered, but also on what they chose not to cover, that they have an agenda. Yeah. And because this pandemic was occurring in, in the midst of a presidential election, uh, their agenda could not have been more clear. And so while, um, you know, we certainly uh, paid some attention to, to what the national media was saying, it was only in the context of very easily figuring out uh, what was going right in other states and what was going wrong in other states. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I tell folks all the time, and I've been in this business probably too long, at least a lot of my adversaries think I've been in this business <laughs> too long, but I tell them all the time, look, when you talk about critics and I got a bunch of them, I got a bunch of them in the national media. I got a bunch of critics in my local media. Um, they all happen to be liberal Democrats, but that's, that's okay. They don't admit it, but they are. But <laughs> right. the reality is the greatest critic I have is the person that looks back at me in the mirror every single morning. And as long as I can get up in the morning and look in that mirror and say, you know what, what I did yesterday, I don't know if it's right or wrong, but I know I did it because I thought it was right. That's the only thing that matters. What the national media thinks does not matter a lick because you know that they're biased and you know that they uh, they have their own agenda and, and, and they're going to do what they're going to do. And by the way, that's the reason nobody pays any attention to them anymore. And that's no the reason it's a dying profession. Well, and that's why the variety program exists because they're not doing exactly. the job, right? <laughs> so exactly. I want to talk to you about a couple of Biden administration things. I, I know, um, as you mentioned, the economic situation that the pandemic left us in was one of the things that you concentrated at from the very beginning to make sure you weren't eliminating livelihoods, as you said. The, along comes the Biden administration, right? And they start basically paying people not to work, paying people, uh, paying rent. You know, giving people incentives basically to leave the workforce. And we saw nationwide how this had an impact. And and there's only so much you can do as a governor, right? When national policies are being set that are disincentivizing the workforce, causing strains and supply chains and things like that. Talk to you, talk to me a little bit about the frustrations that you've had as a governor watching all this happen in DC. Well, it's it's created real challenges for. Um, small business owners, large business owners, and everyone in between on, on Main Street in America and, and certainly on Main Streets in every small town uh, across Mississippi. I, I, I was the second governor, I believe, in the country to end the additional federal unemployment assistance. I did so in early May of this year um, because it took 30 days for it to go into effect. It didn't go into effect until early June. But even with that, we are we still have the challenge uh, in our state and across America where the the one thing that you see more often than anything, if you go into a small town or a big town, is a sign that says help wanted. Yeah, we have a labor shortage in America today due almost exclusively because of the policies that are being uh, pushed by the Biden administration. We have a supply chain crisis in America today 
do almost exclusively because of the policies being pushed by the Biden administration. And they just completely act as if it doesn't exist. And and double and, down and double down. Yeah. Not only does it not exist, they're going to double down on it. I, and I, I told a group the other day, and you'll appreciate this. I've got a nine year old daughter. You know, you have problems when a year ago, and I'm an economics major, by the way, but a year ago, I didn't even think of the term supply chain crisis. Now my nine-year-old daughter is sitting me down and saying, dad, is this supply chain crisis mean I'm not going to be able to get my Christmas presents this year on time? <laughs> you know, right? I mean, right. that's what's happening in America today. And it's a, it's really, really worrisome. Um, and, and like you say, they're, they're doubling down a, a $1.2 trillion infrastructure plan passed on Friday. Uh, with what appears to be support to pass uh, another couple trillion dollars right. in social spending. Um, and at the end of the day, not only do you have a labor shortage, but in a supply chain crisis, look, if you're a single mom in a small town in Mississippi and you go to the grocery store, there are three things you're asking yourself when you get in the grocery store. Number one, how did, why does bread cost so much more today than it did the day before Biden got elected. Number two, why is milk cost so much more than it did the day before Biden getting elected? And, and oh, by the way, number three, why did it cost me so much more to fill up my gas tank to yeah. drive to the grocery store today? Yeah. Inflation is a real problem for everyday Americans. And this notion by the Biden administration, well, we're not going to raise taxes on anybody who makes less than $400,000 a year. Biden's inflation is a tax on hardworking Americans. And quite frankly, that combined with the vaccine mandates and trying to fire people for not taking a jab in their arm, in my opinion, um, is part of an attack on American workers. Yeah, um, 100%. And it's terribly, terribly unfortunate. Yeah, talk to me about the vaccine mandate because they just issued these new OSHA rules and everybody's trying to figure out how to deal with them. Of course, there's a huge uproar across the country and, and there is going to be a destabilization in the workforce to some extent. Um, what are your thoughts? Well, it's, it's, it's unconstitutional, it's illegal, and we in Mississippi, and, and fortunately a lot of other good conservatives across this country are going to fight back with every tool uh, that we have available. Uh, before I go into the specifics, I want to be clear. Um, I, I am such a supporter of the vaccine, I actually got it on Facebook Live, okay? <laughs> I have encouraged my fellow Mississippians to talk to their doctor and get the shot if that's what's in their best interest from a healthcare standpoint. It was certainly in my best interest, in my wife's best interest, my mom's best interest, my dad's best interest, but everybody needs to make their own decision. The fact is that these mandates that the Biden administration are putting on the American people are much bigger than just a vaccine. Because if you're a liberal Democrat and you think the president ought to have the authority to do this, my question is when we have a Republican president what, what can the president not do if he can mandate these vaccines without any action from Congress and without any, uh, any uh, action by the states or any approval by the states? Yeah. It is dangerous and it's worrisome. So in essence, you basically at this point have three rules um, that we're dealing with. Mississippi's filed suit on two of the three and will file suit on the third shortly. Number one, you have the defense contractor uh, mandate where if you are a defense contractor of the federal government, the Department of Defense says you have to have 100% of your employees vaccinated. Illegal, unconstitutional, and we're suing. Second thing was what came out last week, which is the OSHA regulation, uh, which uh, basically used uh, an obscure rule that they had that said this is such an emergency 
that any employee employer that has more than 100 employees um, has to have 100% of their employees vaccinated. Um, this was such an emergency, by the way, that the president announced it via press release or press conference 60 days ago, but didn't even put the rule out for 60 days. And it's not even going to be implemented or it doesn't go into effect for another 60 days. It is that much of an emergency. That's a definition um, that's of an emergency that I'm unfamiliar with, right? A 90 day leg. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and by the way, we sued on Friday, along with the state of Texas and others. And the Fifth Circuit uh, decided on Saturday and entered an order and put a stay on Biden's um, OSHA regulation uh, and uh, and put uh, the federal government on notice that they're going to have to answer within the next seven to eight days um, on that particular issue. So we actually had a big victory in the Fifth Circuit down in New Orleans um, for all of America. It's uh, it's the first of many um, arguments that are going to be made on these mandates, but it's a very important victory uh, for those of us who think the president has gone too far. And then, of course, the third piece is, is the, the federal government decided last week that if you get federal money uh, and you are a provider of health care services, so if you get Medicaid or Medicare or, or any federal money coming from CMS, that you're also going to have to require your employees to get vaccinated. Now, keep in mind, we already have a, a nursing shortage crisis in our state and across the country. Um, this is just going to exacerbate it. No question. And it's 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 just reality, and uh, it's almost as if um, the the Biden administration they 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 want to ignore the Constitution, they want to ignore the laws of the United States, uh, and they want to ignore reality when it comes to uh, the policies that they're making. You're making things worse day after day after day. No question. Well, you know, the, if you back it up a little bit beyond COVID and vaccines and and everything else. You'd be hard pressed to find a single thing this administration has done since Biden was inaugurated that hasn't ended in tragic disaster, right? Everything from, as we were mentioning, inflation, the supply chain issues caused by their policies, immigration, what's going on at the border, Afghanistan, for crying out loud. I mean, heads are spinning at this point. I got to imagine your constituents when you talk to, they're just at wit's end. There's no doubt about it. I mean, it is a it is disaster after disaster after disaster, many of which are man-made, and they're based upon the, the policies that they have tried to put in place and just a, an absolute misreading of the American people. Uh, nothing says um, a mandate by the American people like a 50-50 United States Senate, right? Yeah, I mean, right. that's really – I mean <laughs> – that they really believe that uh, that 80% of the people are on their side when in reality, when you look at their policies, uh, it's really closer to 35 or 40% of the people are on their side. Yeah, well, no, I, they've really revealed themselves when Bernie Sanders uh, said, you know, our agenda should not be stopped by two United States senators. He was talking about mansion and cinema. The other 50 apparently don't exist. <laughs> Just amazing, right? Uh, but, but it is... It, Look, it's a fundamental difference between the two parties. Uh, their party believes in centralized decision making. They believe that all decisions should be centralized, that those individuals in Washington, D.C. know better than everyone else across the country, whereas our political party believes in the individual. We believe that we should empower individuals to make decisions based upon what is in their own self-interest, doing what's best for them and their family. And it's just a fundamental difference in, in everything. Else. And it's it's never been 
um, is, is obvious as it has been uh, during the last uh, 10 months, nine months of the Biden administration. Uh, and, and that's why the that's why you see the, the big victories politically yeah. in Virginia. It's the reason we won the governor's race, the lieutenant governor's race, the attorney general's race. Um, it's because it, it's an absolute repudiation of uh, the Biden administration's policies, period. Yeah. Well, I know you're helping and doing your part to make sure that we keep on winning because that there is no greater time for us to be able to push back on this before it's too late. I got three big questions for you, Governor. We ask everybody. All right. So these are these you probably know what's coming. But the first one is your last meal on earth. What would it be? Dear shish kebabs. Oh, yeah. Cooked by my dad. Um, now, you know, for you sophisticated types, that's uh, venison tenderloin. <laughs> but I'm talking uh, deer backstrap wrapped in bacon oh, with yeah. onions and bell peppers and, of course, a little deer sausage to go with it. <laughs> that no, if I can. I choose, if I get to choose my last meal, it's going to be at Eagle Lake, Mississippi. By the way, over at my deer camp. Oh, nice! Question. You got even got the location. I love that. Uh, nope. No question. If, if we're going to get to choose, you know, uh, that's that's what we're going to do. Yeah, and you can slide in sideways on your last meal too, right? So you can really do it. Help. No doubt. All right. So here's the second question for you: If you never got into public service, never got into politics at all, what would you wanted to be doing with your life? Well, it was fully my intention to be a, a point guard in the National Basketball Association, but um, as as that guy said in in the movie Hoosiers, I was I was really too short and not no good, and so that didn't work out very well for me. Um, and then after that uh, fizzled, uh, I actually went and and I'm an economics major, and I got a, a, a charter financial analyst designation. I managed money for a living before I got into politics, and if it weren't uh, for my uh, current uh, position as governor, I, I would definitely be back in the financial world um, dealing with uh, uh, high finance. Got it. Okay, well, you know what? That's a good skill set for this day and age. I will tell you, uh, Ted Cruz also thinks he can be an NBA basketball player. So you, you got that in common with him. <laughs> I had a better chance than Ted did, by the way. I, it, it fizzled for both of us, but I did have a better chance when, you know, 20 years ago. I love that. All right. So final question. This is about motivations. It's what motivates you more, the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat. And the way that we put it is, you know, one is the classic optimist glass half full. The other is the Michael Jordan figure, right? The person who literally burns inside the idea that anybody could even dare try to defeat them. Those are the two poles, Governor. Where do you find yourself? Well, look, I really enjoy winning, but I really, really, really hate losing. And I have a 16-year-old that plays high school basketball, a 14-year-old that plays soccer all over the country. And, and, and I even have to, you know, I have to take a step back because I have three daughters and three girls, and, and, and I'm too hard on them, but I hate losing in any context. <laughs> I can tell. I can tell. I can tell. You've, uh, you've done a nice job winning over the years, though, Governor. <laughs> well, we, we hope that run continues. Absolutely. Listen, can't thank you enough for joining us on the program. Stay in touch. We want to keep uh, up to date on everything that's happening with you. Well, y'all do a great job on, on the program. I appreciate you having me on. Thanks, Governor. Thanks. So, look, he, this is a serious guy doing serious work, and I think it stands in such contrast to everything that we've seen out of the Biden administration. You know, the way that he has sort of open-eyed taken on COVID and the pandemic with, in the face of 
national media that's looking to caricature every conservative as some redneck southern know nothing right he's actually taken the science looked out for his people and gone a, a separate way not caved basically to the to the national pressure that didn't understand the pandemic and didn't understand the, how coronaviruses are seasonal, like nothing, right? But he, instead of caving to that, stood up along with a number of really smart Republican governors, and I think they deserve great credit. Yeah, and one of the facts are on our side. You look at the seasonality of this thing, you just look at the maps, the heat maps of viral spread right now, and remember, you know, Four months ago, when everyone was saying death Santis and, oh, you know, Florida is the problem. Look at those maps today. Right. You yeah. know, yeah. and it's just I hope to God that someday this country gets its senses back because this hysteria driven a lot by the media and obviously the libs is just going to destroy this country. If we don't get our totally arms around is. it. And it starts with people like this. Yep, I totally agree. What a banger, fellas. Absolutely. Well, that was, you know, a banger of an episode, gentlemen. Thank you so much to our listeners for making us, you know, the number one podcast. Sorry, Podros. There's a there's a new sheriff in town. <laughs> uh, and so we figured we'd give you all an extra episode this week. Maybe we'll keep it going. Who knows? So until next time, minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. We'll see you on Thursday. Stay ruthless.